Business Lesson 19, Business Ethics, Book 5, Business English, Vocabulary, Part 1, Page 138, Ethics, Slavery, Sweatshop, Morale, Lawfully, Beneficial, Operate, Amoral. Article Part 1, Page 139, The Ethics of Modern Business, Who Are the Victims of Globalization, 1. On January 9, 2007 in San Francisco, Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple, announced a new technology they had developed, the iPhone, the smooth smartphone with its touchscreen, apps, built-in camera, and ability to send and receive text messages and emails quickly became a must-have. It was released in June of that year, and by January 2008, they had already sold 3.3 million phones. By the time Steve Jobs passed away at only 56 years of age in October 2011, the iPhone 4S was released, and Apple reported a total of 319 million phones sold the following January. By 2016 at its height, the iPhone was selling around 6.4 million units in the UK alone, generating some 4.1 billion pounds in this one market. 2. Yet it didn't take long for reports to start leaking out around Foxconn, the Taipei-headquartered company which manufactured the electronic parts required for the iPhone. In January 2012, the New York Times reported a string of ethical violations and poor working conditions. These included workers forced to live in overcrowded rooms and being made to stand for excessive periods of time, causing some of them to have difficulty walking and experiencing swelling in their legs. There were also reports of some of the employees being underage and paid the equivalent of less than $1.22 per day, while many were working in excess of 60 hours per week. The conditions were so bad that many people attempted suicide. Still, in 2020, Foxconn employed 1,290,000 people globally, and it is thought to make up roughly 40% of the world's electronic parts. 3. Unfortunately, abuses of workers aren't limited to the electronics industry. Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, is a favorite of the rich and famous. With its beautiful beaches, shining towers, and high-end hotels and restaurants, it appeals to businesses and investors from around the world. Its rapid rate of growth means that it is a major hub for development in the construction industry. It also has a darker side. Workers from poorer countries come to the city hoping to find work and a better way of life for their families. However, when they arrive, life can be far from what they imagined. Human Rights Watch described the conditions construction workers live in as a less than human, citing squalid and dangerous living conditions. A 2006 report by NPR observed 8 to 10 men living in the same room, each making only around $1.150 per month. Often the money they make goes to paying off loans that they took out to pay for their flights, and many of them have not seen their children or families for years. Not only this, but their passports are often taken away from them on arrival, without which they are unable to leave. So many of them are left trapped in a cycle of poverty. 4. For a company that uses Apple products or does business in the UAE, it presents a real difficulty. Boycotting the product or the place doesn't solve the problem, as those who will suffer are undoubtedly the workers who will lose their jobs. Instead, there needs to be a change in the system. Companies can insist on basic living standards for workers being met before they will engage with other businesses. After all, these abuses do have consequences for the reputation and the public relations of a company. Apple did recognize the violations of workers' rights and now has its own Apple Supplier Responsibility webpage where it lays out the standards and human rights policies it adheres to. 
5. Yet businesses must hold each other accountable to maintain progress. Globalization is happening regardless of whether you think it is a positive or a negative step. It's essential that we all act to ensure that we all reap the benefits together and that the profits of some aren't made on the backs of the unhappiness of others. Listening, Part 1, page 141, script on page 205. Lesson 19, Business Ethics, page 141, script on page 205, audio script. And with us in the studio today, we have Professor Alicia Sheridan. Welcome, Professor. Thank you for having me on your show. So, you are a professor at the university's business school, I understand, but you've recently started a new course on business ethics. Can you tell us a little about that? Absolutely. Business, of course, is highly important. It's important for our economy, our productivity, and our development. But we want our students to be aware of not just the results that their business gets, but also how they get those results. Ethics is about doing what we can morally justify, not just doing what the law asks us to do. But surely, as long as you're not breaking the law, then it's fine, isn't it? We have to remember that slavery and doctors advertising cigarettes were legal at one time. The law is about what is allowed. It is not necessarily about what is right. We've all seen stories about large companies using sweatshops in Asia to get their expensive goods made as cheaply as possible. This is a good example of companies acting within the law. But when you consider the workers who are being paid next to nothing and who are frequently working in dangerous and uncomfortable situations, we can't honestly say that it is morally justified. So, what is your hope for businesses then, Professor? Well, we can really categorize modern-day businesses into four groups. Firstly, you have businesses that are purely focused on profit, the amoral business, they will act illegally and unethically if it means that they can profit. Then you have those businesses that follow the law, the legalistic businesses. They do what is required, but that is as far as they go. As we've already discussed, acting lawfully doesn't mean acting ethically. Moving on to the third category, you have businesses that are responsive. They can see the benefits of acting ethically and will adopt the language and practices of an ethical business, but primarily where it is beneficial to them. When it comes to losing money or not making a large profit, then it is possible that those businesses will not always side with what is ethical. Finally, we have truly ethical businesses. These businesses look at everything they are doing and how they impact others. Ethical standards will be the main focus, even if it affects profits in some areas. What we want is that all businesses, particularly those started or managed by our students, will be ethical in an end-to-end -end manner. What kind of things in a day-to-day -day situation would an ethical business be concerned with? An ethical business will put matters such as, for example, paying its employees a fair living wage, its treatment of employees and suppliers, and the way in which it pays taxes at the core of its business philosophy. Not to mention giving serious thought to the suppliers and products it purchases and ensuring that it works with other ethical businesses. What are the benefits to businesses that run in this way, Professor? There are a lot of benefits. Firstly, it's really good for staff morale. Everyone wants to feel as though they are working for a business that does some good in the world. Happy staff means low turnover, and the positive impact your ethical decisions have on your reputation will enable you to attract the best employees. You'll also attract good customers, and you will be well-received in the community where you operate. 
having a good reputation will also naturally generate product recognition and boost sales. So, as you can see, there are many reasons for wanting our students to put ethics at the heart of their business. Fascinating. Thank you, Professor. And if you want to learn more about business ethics, you should log on too. Writing Part 1, Page 142 How to Spot Company Employee Fraud and Scandals Small businesses are at higher risk of employee fraud than large corporations. Here's how to spot the signs that your employees aren't being honest. The risk of employee fraud is much higher for small businesses than it is for large corporations. Theft, embezzlement, bribery, benefits, and payroll fraud are common types of occupational fraud. Four elements, opportunity, rationalization, pressure, and capability. Create an environment conducive to fraud. How to spot employee fraud. Oftentimes, there are signs of ongoing employee fraud. Here are five red flags to look out for. An employee's lifestyle suddenly doesn't match their salary. When an employee is suddenly living well beyond their means, that could be a sign of fraud. An employee is being secretive. If an employee is extremely reluctant to share their processes or to have someone review their work, that could be a sign of fraud. You've received frequent tips or complaints about a certain employee. This might seem obvious, but according to the ACFE, 42% of employee fraud cases are detected as a result of tips. There have been many inconsistencies in accounts receivable, excessive or unexplained cash transactions, unreconciled bank account statements, an unusual increase in expenses, supplies or employee reimbursements, or sudden activity in previously inactive accounts can point to fraud. Be sure to use an expense tracker to monitor the accuracy of employee reimbursements and regularly review your business's accounting reports. An employee thinks the rules don't apply to them. If you have the necessary internal controls in place, but an employee refuses to follow proper procedures or adhere to regulations, this can be a red flag. What are the types of employee fraud? Employee fraud comes in a variety of forms. Without looking for red flags, you won't even see it coming. Here are some common types of employee fraud. Theft. This happens anytime an employee steals money, property, or resources from your business. Embezzlement. This occurs when the accountants in charge of your money are stealing it. Kickbacks bribery. This is when employees accept money in exchange for preferred treatment. Benefits fraud. This occurs when employees defraud company benefits, for example, by using sick days when they're healthy. Payroll fraud. Employees also may steal time by illegally adjusting timesheets to show that they're present when they're actually absent. Why does employee fraud happen? If you suspect fraudulent activity, Employees in financial service positions, such as chief financial officer, accountant, bookkeeper, and accounts receivable or accounts payable roles, might be a good place to start your search. These employees have access to information that can do lasting and irreparable damage to your company. According to the National Association of Certified Valuators and Analysts, four common factors create the ideal circumstances for fraud. Opportunity. Inadequate or ineffective internal controls provide the perfect opportunity for fraud. According to the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, ACFE, small businesses typically have fewer anti-fraud controls than larger organizations do, leaving them more vulnerable to fraud. Rationalization. Fraudsters invent justifications to rationalize their actions. Pressure. External pressures, such as significant personal debt or credit problems, can push someone to commit fraud. Capability. To successfully pull off a scheme, the employee has to have the patience, access, and knowledge to succeed.
Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed another lesson of Uncle Sam's American English. These audios are synced with our four book series. Contact one of our professors or join our online course by visiting our Facebook page, Uncle Sam's International.